Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Praise the Lord. Thank you for worshiping this morning. God's presence is just here, and it's so fun to just come together as a family and hang out in His presence. This uh, last week, I thought a lot about the word motivated, as in what motivates an individual to do or pursue something. I shared a few stories last week on Father's Day, um, stories that involved my dad, and he was a true disciplinarian, and avoiding the discipline that was inevitable whenever I made a terrible decision actually motivated me not to make as many of those terrible decisions as I probably would have. That was a motivation. I've had bosses that motivated me to work harder by either threatening demotion or dangling pay raises in front of me. They motivated me. Upon meeting Alyssa, I became motivated enough to muster up the courage to ask her to marry me. The thought of getting to spend the rest of my life with her motivated me to action. I've had health situations where the doctor seemed concerned about my blood pressure or has said I'm borderline diabetic. That coupled with feeling lethargic and out of shape at times motivates me to lose weight. Anybody ever been there? Every major decision and even every minor decision that we make in this life is motivated by something. And motivation can come from a place of selfishness and self-fulfillment or it can come from a place of love and serving others. We can certainly have godly motivations or biblical motivations. Our faith can motivate us to do a lot of things from how we spend our time to who we spend it with or to how we spend our money and what we spend it on. Faith can motivate us to read or not read certain books, watch or not watch certain movies, and listen or not listen to certain music. We can have fleshly motivations. Our flesh can motivate us to to seek out power, material wealth, and lustful pleasures. Everything we do, church, every action we take, everything we have become willingly involved with can be traced back to a motivation within our heart. And although there can be as many specific and different motivations within us as we have reasons for doing what we do, I believe that there can be an overarching motivation that sort of encapsulates all the rest. We talk a lot in this church about eternal perspective, seeing everything through the eyes of eternity, not not just seeing things in the here and now, but trying to see them in reference to forever, because there is a forever that exists after this life. There is a forever. Well, some of you believe it, you know, like four of you. Okay, we just live, we die, they bury us, it's over. Now, there is a forever to look forward to after this life. Amen? Amen? Yeah, woo! Yeah, right. That's worth that. Woo! Yeah, love it. That's Iowans going crazy, by the way, if you don't know. When, when an Iowa goes, woo! That's an Iowa just breaking loose, busting out. Any Iowans ready to bust out this morning? Yeah, whoa, settle down. Can't take it. <laughs> And 
this in itself, this, this looking through the eyes of eternity, it, it can in itself become a powerful overarching motivation that drives and pushes and determines the very paths of life that we choose to go down. And this morning I want to start a three-part mini-series that uses our church's vision statement as a backdrop in reference to this eternally focused motivation that I believe we all have and that we all should allow to increase in our lives. Lord Jesus, I make it my prayer right now to let our motivation be godly. Let us truly see with an eternal perspective and not a mere earthly one. Let us see things through your eyes, Jesus. Let us see people through your eyes, Lord. Let us be motivated by your Holy Spirit to carry out your plans and your purposes for our lives. Help us to love people the way that you love them, Lord. That's the cry of our heart, Jesus, this morning. So, so let's revisit our church's vision statement. Some of you know what this is, and some of you may be hearing it for the first time, but it's simple and extremely easy to remember. It's very simple. Our vision in this church is simply this. Our vision statement is to rescue, develop, deploy. That simple. Rescue, develop, deploy. And this is what I believe as pastor. It's what my pastoral staff believes, and it's what our board of spiritual elders believes is the reason for our being a church. This is the purpose why we exist, to rescue, develop, and deploy. And in fact, it's the biblical reason that the local church exists altogether. Not just this one, but all the local churches, really. God has called us to rescue those who are desperately seeking fulfillment in this life, those who have reached the end of their rope and have no other place to look than, to, than, to, than up to Jesus, those that are spiritually in trouble and they need to be rescued. That's who God has called us to. Those that need to be rescued. Those who are in spiritual trouble who need rescuing. He's also called us to develop, and that is to facilitate and encourage uh, the continued spiritual development and maturity of all those that choose to connect here and become part of this family. Iron sharpening iron, helping each other mature, growing up in the faith. And finally, he's called us to deploy those who are rescued and developed uh, those individuals to, to go out and share what they have seen and heard the Lord Jesus do in their lives. And that includes every single one of us. How many remember being rescued? Amen. And the, the painful times that developing can sometimes be. I think of it as like a, if we're a lump of clay and, and God is just molding us and pushing us and then we're baked in the kiln fires, right? And the fire hardens us in a, in a good way, makes us solid. But then, then there's still some rough edges that have to be rubbed off. And how many know it's painful when Jesus starts rubbing off the rough edges? That's difficult and it's hard. It's tough. And sometimes we go through things that are horrific. But they're all there. And God can use every single one of them to help us become who we're supposed to be, as hard as that might be for some of us. In order for us to be the church that I and the leadership believes God wants us to be, we, we, we have to be motivated to do all three, three of these, rescue, develop, deploy. Rescuing people isn't a byproduct of having services on Sundays and Wednesdays. I want you to hear me, church. It's not a byproduct. That doesn't come automatic. You have to be intentional in being a rescuing church. 
And developing people doesn't just occur because we offer a few classes here and there. It doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional, purposeful. And our scriptural mandate to deploy people out into the world to share the good news of the gospel, it isn't fulfilled by just sending missionaries to foreign countries. That's nice and a good thing to do, but it's so much more than that. At church, we must be motivated enough to move beyond clapping for those that are rescued and saying a resounding amen for those who testify about a decision they've made that proves that they are developing into a mature Christian. And our motivation must exceed our simple desire to send individuals out into the highways and byways. We must be motivated to do these things ourselves, to be tangibly involved in rescuing, in developing, and deploying others. And I say this, I, ha- I have to say this, it's very simple for Christians in America to just pay individuals to do these things for them. Are you hearing me? Pastors, evangelists, missionaries, spiritual teachers, we pay them money so that these things will happen. And although it's not wrong to pay people to dedicate themselves to this, through the years it has somehow transferred the spiritual responsibilities of kingdom building. That's what rescue, developing, and deploying really is, is kingdom building. It's transferred those responsibilities off of members of the body of Christ and put it entirely or almost entirely on paid church workers. I don't have to be involved in that. I pay the pastor to do that. I don't have to win somebody to Jesus. I gave $500 to the last evangelist who came to church. He wins people to Jesus. And by me giving money, I'm rescuing people. Yes, you are, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Full-time ministers are not paid to do the work all by themselves. They are paid to devote their time to equip the saints to do the work of kingdom building, not to do it themselves necessarily. But it's like everything else. It's convenient. It's just a lot easier to let someone else do it and and pay them so you don't feel bad about not doing it. it. It's just easier to Venmo someone some cash or just write them a check than it is to do it ourselves, right? I mean, why cook? Why cook? DoorDash is easier. You can sit in your chair, unshowered, no makeup, don't have to brush your teeth, no need to comb your hair. You can still be in your pajamas at supper time and someone will bring whatever you want to eat right to your door. You don't even have to talk to them. They ring the doorbell, you wait for them to leave, and then you open the door, grab it quick before any of your neighbors see you, and then you enjoy. How do you think I know this? Actually, it's still just, it's such an effort. I mean, I have to get out of that chair to go get the food off my step. That's very taxing. And and don't get me wrong, I love DoorDash. It's just that the attitude that makes me love it can start spilling over into other areas of my life. It can even begin to dictate how we operate as members of the body of Christ. We just get lazy. Lazy. Drop the mic, boom, walk away, right? 
Accepting Christ and his free gift of salvation is wonderful, but it will be anything but convenient. Hear me, church. Living out the Christian life is not a life of convenience. If your Christianity is just a matter of convenience, then you may have received Christ. I'm not going to tell you you haven't. That's between you and Jesus. You might have received him as Savior, but you certainly haven't decided to follow him. Christianity is never convenient. It's not easy to stand for truth and for justice in a world that is controlled by those who change the very meanings of those words. Sin and its effects are rapidly deteriorating anything that's godly within our world. And you know this. We see this. It's not time to sit back, church. It's not time to hide or cower in the corner. It's not time to get so political that we lose our focus of the real mission that God has given us. It's time to get motivated to do the very thing that God has called us to do. And this morning, I want to focus on that part of our vision statement that says rescue. It says rescue. That's the intro. I just gave you the intro to the series. But now we're going to talk about rescuing. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a command. It's not a, it's not a, 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 hey, you might want to do this. You might want to try this. You might want to step into this a little bit. No, Jesus says, and these are Jesus' words, he says, Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Not come to church and pay somebody else to do it. It says, go, you go. Every single one of us. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're a minister of the gospel. And turn back the other way and say it again. I'm muted, so you won't have to hear that blow. Don't you appreciate me? I'm so others-focused. <laughs> Luke 14, 23. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Amen. If we are servants of the master and... I want to say that I'm a servant of the master. I mean, are you a servant of the master? Of the master? If you are, then your job is to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Come into what? Come into the family of God. Come in and enjoy what God has for them. That's our job. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That should be the reason we get up in the morning. That should be what excites us when we get ready in the morning, when we go off to work, which is just awesome to go to work, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, some of us, all we do is trade hours for dollars, and it gets really frustrating. But let me tell you, it'll be less frustrating if you have this purpose at the forefront of your mind. I am here to be a blessing. I am here to share the gospel with somebody. I am here to be salt and light. I am here to show the love of Jesus to everybody I can find. If that's your focus, if that's your purpose, if that's your motivation... Life changes. It's not, oh gosh, it's Monday morning, I gotta go to work. It's, 
Good morning, Lord. What do you got on the agenda for me today? Where's my divine appointment going to show up? We are called, every one of us, to go out and rescue those that need rescuing. What could possibly motivate us more than that? What motivates us to rescue? Well, maybe love. That could be our motivator. I've heard it said, and, and, and to my shame, I, I have repeated this phrase, if it weren't for people, ministry would be easy. It'd also be non-existent. God, help us love people. Help us love them with all of their faults and their quirks and all of their issues. Help us remember that we had issues too. And yes, we still have issues. Hopefully just not the same ones that we had because we're growing up in the faith. I, I know that the Driven by Eternity class got into a discussion about hell this past week. I heard it was really good. Let me, let me say this loud and clear. Hell is a real place. It absolutely exists. We don't like to talk about it because it seems... Uh, kind of mean. I mean, if God's love, why would there be a hell? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Hell must just be a thing that the church invented to scare people into living the way they want them to live. In fact, it must be about controlling people. That's what it must be. I've heard people say that. Folks, hell is real. It's absolutely real. It's a place of torment and suffering that is beyond our human imagination. It is a place that is forever it's forever for those that end up there. I, I almost want to say that as great and wonderful as heaven, heaven will be, we can't even imagine, the same is true for hell. It's going to be the opposite, so horrific that we can't even imagine it. And it's not God's will that any should perish and end up in hell. But the fact of the matter is many will. And we should love enough we should love people enough to at least give them a chance to be saved from this place. We should have enough care in our hearts for others within us, that, that care for them within us, that, that we, we actually give a crap about someone else's eternity. Sorry about the language. But we should care. We should care. But most of the church is either blinded by fear or they just don't believe it's their personal responsibility. But again, God has called you to be a rescuer. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Ultimately, we know he does the rescuing, but he does it through you and me. That's such a wonderful, joyful thing to be a part of. It's adventurous, church. So who have you rescued lately? Who have you been working on rescuing anyone well god just hasn't put anybody in my path really or are you just not thinking about it are you not motivated you know i i didn't ask this person if i could do this but rocky are you in here where are you rocky are you here today back there back there somewhere i saw him earlier he may be in the bathroom, I don't know. But there's a guy named Rocky that is on his fifth week of being here in a row. And I, I, want, I want to tell you his story just real quick. I have this thing called a dingo. It's a stand behind skidster. 
And I like to get on it because it's a, it's, it kind of reminds me of working on the farm back when I was a kid. And it kind of is my, it's my golf, you know? Some pastors golf to clear their heads. I like to get on a little tractor thing and do work. And I hire out sometimes. And I ended up getting a call from a guy named Rocky who lived in Pleasantville. And he needed his garden tilled. So I went over and I tilled his garden. And while I was there, and he paid me to till his garden. While I was there, I got out of the car and he's got this big, like, lick you to death dog <laughs> and he's jumping all over my vehicle and he's jumping all over me as I'm opening the door and he, and he gets inside the door between me and the door as I'm opening the door and he hits my lock button and he locks my keys in my car because I didn't notice and I slammed the door shut and my keys are locked in the car and I'm like okay Rocky comes out and he goes hi hi I'm Rocky I'm so I'm Barry and we met and I think your dog just locked my keys in my car <laughs> he goes oh man I'm sorry really so I ended up tilling the garden, and then afterwards we're, we're talking a little bit. He goes, I, I tried to get it out with a, with a coat hanger deal, and I wasn't having any luck. I guess my days of, of breaking into cars are over. Not that I ever did that. And then, so he, he remembered he knew a cop down the road, and he said the Pleasantville cops are really bored anyway, so um, <laughs> that's what he said. So he, the cop comes down, and he... Uh, comes out and, and he, he gets my keys out. It didn't cost me any money, he did it for free, so he was right, they, they must have been a little bored. But that created a window of opportunity to talk. Amen. And it was very interesting how, how um, it happened because he told me, he goes, I don't know what it is, but I'm really kind of a private guy and I went right back in the house. I usually would go right back in the house, but I was just drawn to you for some reason. I went in the, he went in the house for a second, then he comes out with water and he gives me water, but we started talking. And I invited him to breakfast at the bistro, which he came down to breakfast. And I invited him to church. He came into church. And then the second week he came to church, Pastor Jared was preaching, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And then the third week he was here, and the fourth week he was here, and today he's here. It's the fifth week. Rocky is coming to a place where he knows the Lord, and it's a process just like we all know. We've all been through it, right? It was a divine appointment that that dog locked my keys in my car. <laughs> I can think of a hundred things that could have been different about that whole day. But if it wasn't for that day, there'd be one more person who'd still be in anguish. One more person who needed to be rescued. And he brings to the table all sorts of gifts and talents and abilities. And it's not that he's so bad and we so good as a church. It's not like that. I'm just a bag of, a bag of dry bones that someone spoke into, and I've become live, and we're just supposed to do the same. That's what we're supposed to do. It should be all the time, church. It should happen all the time. And I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back, especially for doing something that God has not only called us to do, but has given us the ability to do. We can't take credit for all that. We, we, we just have to say yes to doing it. And if every believer in Warren County purposed in their heart to go out into the world with their rescuing radar on, I mean, what if everyone rescued one over the course of the next month? What kind of impact would that have in, would that have in our county and in our local cities? 
you would double the church. What if the church was doubled in size because believers got a hold of the truth that they're called to go and share the gospel with a lost and dying world and not just go through life doing their normal thing, being oblivious to every divine appointment that comes their way? Just every believer winning one. I can tell you that the churches in our county would not be able to handle that kind of growth. We, we would be filled and then filled again. They would double in size overnight. We have, we have uh, this is one of the largest auditoriums in Warren County, and if it happened here, we would have to go to two services. If any of you don't think I work hard enough, you know, just invite more people. We'll go to two services, and then I will. <laughs> double the Christians has double the impact. Not, not really, because God's math doesn't operate in subtraction, division, or even addition. God's math always operates in multiplication. One puts 1,000 to flight, two put 10,000 to flight, and if everybody wins one, it's just... It, it will multiply even more than that, the effectiveness. That, that kind of kingdom multiplication changes the, the moral atmosphere of a community, church. It changes the political atmosphere. It changes crime rates. Violent crimes go down, including murder, assault, and domestic crimes in the homes. Some of the police officers that attend church here uh, could tell you that there's so much of this that goes on. Sometimes they feel like pastors more than they do like law enforcement agents because they're counseling and they're trying to just calm situations. They're trying to help people all the time. Thank God for our police officers. Thank God for them. But you want to do them a favor? Start winning people to Jesus. Because that will. That kind, of, that kind of church work, that affects entire communities. Substance abuse begins to lower. Drinking and driving becomes more of a rarity. Burglaries go down. Everything changes. And I know this is true because it's happened in communities before. You can read about it. There's testimonies of communities. There's a testimony of one community, I think it was Elk River. Is that right? Elk River, Minnesota, where that actually happened. Churches got together, began to pray. They began to work together. They began to cry out to God together. Revival hit that community, and crime rates went down. I mean, every, the churches were packed. The bars were emptied. It's amazing what God can do. What God can do when people step in to what they're supposed to be doing. We have the answer as the church. His name is Jesus Christ, and we are often too busy, too fearful, too calloused, too indifferent to others. There are many reasons why. I, I, I don't know what they all are, but they all go back to, to us just not having really enough love for those that have never heard. Not willing to step out. Just don't have that, that love factor isn't quite high enough to, to push us, to motivate us, to... to overcome that threshold of fear and share what we have been so freely given well what if I get rejected how do we build up our love to that place where we are motivated truly to be Jesus hands and feet to others what are some things that we can remember or some of the things that we can do to or just keep in mind as, as we 
allow ourselves to become more motivated in rescuing. And I put down five things here. It's already 11:13, but I'm going to move through these really quickly. Number one, remember someone first loved you. Someone loved you. You have to remember that someone once loved you enough to tell you the truth. Well, I was raised in the church. Yeah, well, your parents then did, did well, and they loved you enough to do that. Someone loved you enough to tell you. In my particular situation, and I've shared my testimony many times in this church, shared it in the, in the Connections class, I've shared it from the pulpit, but if, if that guy, Dan Kramer, didn't love me enough to knock on my door and then me reject him, and then him love me enough to knock on my door again, and then me reject him again, and then come back to my door and knock again, I would still be in sin today. It's love. It motivates us. Someone had to love you. If you can keep that in mind, it will motivate you to love someone else. Number two, be other-centered. You have to be other-centered. I mean, that, that's the opposite, really, of victim mentality, which is self-centeredness at the core. I'm so tired of victim mentality, I could just vomit. I mean, there are people who are victims of terrible circumstances and situations, I get that, but you don't have to live as a victim, and you certainly don't have to develop a victim mentality. Victors are individuals who decided not to live as victims. Victors are victims who decided not to be. That's the truth. There's always somebody out there who's gone through more than you have who's decided not to be a victim. We've got to be other-centered enough. Get our eyes off ourselves. Stop being so intrinsic with working on me and I've got to develop myself. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to... Folks, while we're developing and trying to work on ourselves so hard, we're so focused, inwardly focused, that we miss a world out here that's dying and going to hell because we're so focused on me. You can't be so self-focused that you forget to be other-focused. How can you rescue others when all you do is think about you? You know what I found out? You are never, ever going to be ready enough. You are never going to be in a place where you're good enough and perfect enough to be able to go and share with others. So forget about it and just go share with others. You know what I'm saying? Man, we waste time. I'm not saying we shouldn't work on ourselves. I'm not saying that. But where that's all we do, man, we're missing it. Number three, we gotta pray and act. You have to pray for opportunities and then take advantage of them when they present themselves. Ask for opportunities. Lord God, give me opportunity today. Give me some divine appointments today. God, I want at least five divine appointments today. And it's amazing how many opportunities we have every day when we pray for them and God begins to open our eyes to them. They're all over the place. Sometimes it's just opening our mouth and saying something. Sometimes it's just listening to people that we're coming in contact with and they'll give you, they'll give you little, little cues. They'll say something, you're like, whoa, 
There goes my rescuing radar. It just went off. And it opens the door for you to plant seeds, to share your faith, to share your story, to begin that process. You got to pray and act. Number four, don't take it personally. What do I mean by that? Well, you don't really get the credit when God uses you to rescue someone, and you don't need to own the rejection if someone shuts you down about it. So don't take it personally. It's not your job to win anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's your job to just share, to be his hands and feet in the rescuing process. Well, every time I witness, nobody ever listens. So I'm not going to. I guess that's not my calling. Lie from hell. It's a lie from hell. Maybe you got to change your methods. Maybe you got to pray more. Maybe you got to get some teaching about what the right opportunity is and what isn't. But don't take it personally and shut down if you feel a little rejection. Just move on to your next divine appointment. You know, there was this guy I knew in high school. He was really funny, kind of the class clown of the whole school, not just his class. And I had made a decision for Christ as a 14-year-old, but never really let it sink in. And I let the world get in like so many of us do. And I didn't really, I mean, I was a little bit, when I was with Christians, pretty good kid. When I was not with Christians, I wasn't so much a good kid. So I was playing that game. I was riding the fence and just didn't let it really sink in until college. But I, I tried to be a good moral person most of the time. Just easily led astray. This guy was funny, though. He was hilarious. He would coarse joke. He would make fun of others. And uh, he was one of those people in my world back then who, who made it very hard for me to stand up for Jesus. Because if I did, and, and even when I did a little bit, it would just get crushed. I mean, he would crush it in a, in a second with, with humiliation. And that was hard. I was embarrassed to be too Christian-y around him. So I found myself even acting worldly around him and joining in with some of his goofiness, worldliness. And he could get everyone laughing uh, laughing at me in the blink of an eye. Funny thing is, when that guy, Dan, came to my door in college and led me, to the, led me in the sinner's prayer, he was with an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. And I was on Facebook just several years ago, and uh, this was uh, you know, way after college. I hadn't thought about that guy in high school who was so funny for a long time. And I came across him on Facebook. And um, I noticed that he was being honored nationally. This is the guy who was funny in high school, who I couldn't be really too Christian-y around, or he'd slay me. But he was being honored nationally for his work with Campus Crusade for Christ. He had become a full-time campus missionary within the very organization that was responsible for producing the faith in the student, Dan, who led me to the Lord in the way where it finally stuck. And the person I, I, this person that I just couldn't witness to because of rejection was won to the Lord later by somebody else. And it was 
funny that it was even in the same organization. If you are rejected for the gospel, do not take it personally. Just move on. Maybe your job was just to plant some seed. Maybe your job was just to water it a little bit and then move on. Maybe your, your, your job was to cultivate a little bit and then move on. It's okay. But if it's a rejection, don't take it personally because God's got their number. And when they put you down and laugh at you and ridicule you, maybe for your faith, you can just walk away going, yeah, one day. One day. There's coming a day. God's got your number. John 15, 18 through 19 says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. That's just the facts. Don't take it personal. Be strategic. So uh, there was this time when I was a youth pastor, and I probably shared this story before, but four doors down from the church, this was in South Dakota, four doors down from the church, a young man who had recently moved to town there, had been around for a couple, maybe a year, maybe two, but he recently moved um, he took his own life in the garage with a 12-gauge. And it, it just floored me. It was, it was one of those things that, that, that it made me angry at the devil. It made me angry at myself that four doors down from the church I hadn't shared with this kid. And, the, and a couple days after this had happened, the school called me and said, hey, there's a bunch of kids who skip school. We think you know some of them. Um, would you just go out to their place and make sure they're okay? I'm like, okay. So as a young youth pastor, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to ride in on my gospel horse, and I'm going to pull out the word of God, and I'm going to preach to them. And, and in their moment of, of sorrow and grief, they're all going to come to Jesus because... He's the answer, and this is the moment. You know, sometimes we think that way when we don't know much. And so I went out there, and I kind of had that attitude to some extent. And I started trying to share with them, and I started trying to uh, talk with them about their grief like I had all the answers, which obviously I didn't then, and I still don't. I just know the guy who does. And one of the kids who I knew pretty well, really well actually, said to me, what, said to me this, and I'll never forget it. Who do you think you are coming out here and acting like you know everything? I think you're here just to put another notch on your, I think they said, uh, spiritual belt. As if, whoop, I got another one witness to. There's my little notch on my belt. Now I can go around and say that I witnessed to a whole group of people, young people, who were, you know, they were kind of the gothy, uh, emo type people, you know, that whole group. They were a rough crowd. And it hit me that probably what I should have done has been a little more strategic and just sat there and listened. Shut my big mouth and listened to what their hearts were saying. It's important to understand people, to watch them, to pray, uh, even while you're praying for them, watching them, to really see them and, and, and what they are going through. 
You can't just hit them over the head with, with all the truth you know. That, that's called pride, by the way. Well, I'm going to show them all the truth that I know. I'm so intelligent. I know the Bible forwards and backwards and upside down. And I know how to speak Greek. Nobody cares. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You got to make sure you're attending to their needs in the moment, just as Jesus did. He fed 5,000 people physical food. He prayed for those who were sick. He often ministered to physical needs way before he ministered to spiritual needs, but he always knew exactly when to say tough things and when to become more merciful with his words. And people rejected him. They rejected his harsh words. They rejected his merciful words. But he always knew what to say and when to say it. Pastor Calloway used to say that the greatest gospel song ever written was The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. You've got to know when to hold them. You've got to know when to fold them. You've got to know when to walk away and when to run. And this is so true when it comes to being strategic in your rescuing endeavors. Knowing when and how to... how. Will, will obviously be developed through experience and through prayer. Let God teach you as you step out, but be prayed up and in tune with what his Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Also, make sure that your strategy includes being yourself. Don't try and do things the way someone else does them. I mean, good grief, that would be disastrous. I don't know if he's here today, uh, but there was a guy driving down the street um, not too long ago, my street, this was kind of just, I think it was during COVID, but he was driving down my street, it was last fall, and, and uh, I was mowing the yard, and all of a sudden, I threw a piece of bark out of the mower and went flying through the air and went right into his window as he came by, his open window, and, and hit him as he was driving by. And I'm like, oh no, I'm going to get chewed out. And the truck kept going, I was like, whoosh, dodged the bullet there, Lord, you know? Well, then the truck turned around. And I'm like, oh boy, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And it was uh, someone I knew, someone who had been to church here, someone who had kind of got lazy maybe in coming or a little relaxed in coming at least. And I said, I got hit in the arm by something you, were mo- you, you threw out of your mower. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean for that to happen. He goes, no, I, I drove away because I knew it was you. And then I thought, no, nope, God hit me in the shoulder because he wanted me to come back and talk to you. <laughs> I have nothing to do with that, by the way. <laughs> so he comes back, and I said, man, yeah, you need to be in church, don't you? And he goes, yeah, I do. I need to get back in church. Amen. That may not be how God works with you, <laughs> and that's okay. Don't turn your lawnmower on and go down and try to hit people with stuff, Okay? I didn't try to hit anybody, it just happened. Man, God does weird things, like dogs locking keys in the car. He does weird things I, with me. I, it's just the way it is. He knows I'm weird, so he's got to work with my weirdness, and he laughs when he does it. But your way is totally different, and that's okay, and that's wonderful, and that's good. Just be you. You got to be yourself. When you minister to those who need rescuing, God will use your unique personality. He will use your specific gifts. He will also use your weaknesses. He'll use your shortcomings. Your mode of apparandi will be as unique as you are. Embrace the truth of that. That's part of enjoying who you are. 
And don't be afraid to make it a family affair, your strategy. This is part of your strategy. Your whole family can be used collectively to win the hearts of other families. Maybe couple to couple. Maybe your kids are going to love on another kid at school, and then all of a sudden your family's got together. That happens. I don't know how it'll work for you, but your family can be a total part of that. Don't compartmentalize so much that, okay, I'm so busy. I've got to get to this game. I've got to get to this rehearsal. I've got to get to this recital. I've got to do all these different things with my kids, blah, 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 blah. How many have ever lived that life? I've got to spend 15 minutes a day in the middle school parking lot. If you've never done that, you should try it. It's, 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 it's a test of faith. It's a test of faith. Don't compartmentalize so much that, that you, you're missing the, the whole point. I mean, we met all sorts of people because our kids were involved in sports. That's, that's an opportunity right there. Let those things be opportunity. Let them be family things. Uh, you know, pray together as a family about those things. Target people together. Yeah, you know, we target people? Yeah, we do. Maybe we should do that more. Got a big target on you. We're coming after you. Because we're rescuers. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. Maybe. <laughs> right? And yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good strategy to memorize, memorize some key scriptures. It's also a good idea to practice telling your story and how you came to Jesus. That can all be part of your rescuing. And, and, and let's get real. This is an easy place. This church, it's an easy place to bring people to. Take all those strategies and and all those thoughts, don't take it personally. Uh, uh, all those things I just, I just mentioned. Remember that someone loved you, be other-centered, pray and act. All that coming together with your, as far as motivating you to be rescuers. And, and remember this, this is an easy place to bring people to. This is an easy church to bring them to. Invite them to men's breakfast or sisterhood coffee. If you can't do nothing else, but invite them. It's that, that's as much as you can do. You know, those things are great because there'll be somebody there who can minister to them if you're not ready to do that. Invite them to breakfast in the bistro. Inform them of the free medical clinic that's running out of this facility. Wow, what an awesome thing that is. We've had it open twice. There's been patients coming in, getting free care within this facility through that ministry that's going on. Love it. It opens the door. Invite them to service next week or even just the party afterwards we're having a party it's easy to invite somebody to a party it's so simple find somebody who has nothing to do on the fourth and say hey we got something to do you want to come hang out with me if you invite somebody out to eat pay for their meal well <laughs> really what if you paying for the meal is the difference between them spending eternity in heaven or hell you telling me that's not worth it if you don't think that's worth it, then get saved. Because you ain't. This is an easy place to invite to. I think we work pretty hard to make people feel comfortable in our services. And, and, and invite them to a normal service. Maybe it's not normal to them, but I don't think it's, we're too crazy in here. And it's not about this church. It's always about Jesus. This, Facility is just here to facilitate ministry and make it easier for you. All these are good things to remember, but if you don't let yourself be eternally motivated to be rest, the rescuing hands and feet of Jesus to those who you come in contact with, then these things are meaningless. Lord, motivate me to be a rescuer. God, motivate us to love. 
enough love that we would lay down our personal agendas long enough to be your hands and feet. That's my message for today. That's the cry of my heart today, that we would love enough, be motivated enough by that love to cry out and, and speak to dry bones, to come alive. Not because we're perfect, but because someone's done that for us. And we have an obligation to do that for others. I love the door. What it says right above the door as you exit New Journey Church in Knoxville. It says, you are now entering the mission field. That should say that in these doors, shouldn't it? Because church, when you leave here today, I want you to think about this, that you are entering the mission field the second you walk out of these doors. There are people that need to be rescued. And you may be the only one. You may be the only one that that individual will ever listen to. Praise the Lord. I want to close in prayer. I know it's a little past 1130. I apologize for that. Always want to respect your time. But this morning, God, we, we ask that you would burn it in our hearts to not just go through life doing the things we have to do to make ends meet, to raise kids and family. And Lord, we get so busy that we just forget that you have called us to such a higher purpose. Lord, we want to be your hands and feet. We commit to you this day, God, that we will be, we will look for opportunities, divine appointments. God, I expect a flood of testimonies to come into this place where divine appointments just occurred because we were looking for them. God, everyone in this room is a minister. A minister of your good news. A servant. A person that's motivated or at least needs to be motivated to be your hands and feet. God, we commit to you that we will be. Let us be a rescuing church, God, like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.